Romans 12. We are continuing. Wonderful, wonderful study of God's Word about transformation, metamorphosis. Being conformed supernaturally more and more to the image of Jesus. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, we've launched off since the beginning of the year with uh, these verses. Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you're there, say, I'm there. Ken, we got feedback in here. Romans 12, 1 and 2. All right, let's read these uh, verses out loud together, then we'll pray. Ready? Begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, thank You again for Your Word. Thank You for our time so far in worship. And now, Lord, as we continue to hear from Your truth about transformation, metamorphosis, what it means to be supernaturally changed from the inside out, be more and more like Jesus, Lord. You say that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, you say that your word is truth. And so that's our desire. That your truth would penetrate not just our minds, but our hearts. That we would have renewed minds. That we would understand the world, ourselves, from your perspective. That our will would be submitted to your will. That our desires would be submitted to your desires. And as we walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would transform us. So, Lord, uh, now uh, do what only you can do. You know each person here. So, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak truth to us and uh, accomplish your will. And all God's people said, Amen. We have been in this. If you look in your outline there, just a quick review. We, we've been in this series on metamorphosis, right? And 2 Peter 1.3 says, Hey, you have been given everything you need for life and godliness. Everyone say everything. Right? If you were here when, when we brought in Bill's backpack that he took on the several hundred mile journey, right? He packed everything he needed for his journey. Well, we've seen biblically that God has given you, has given me everything we need for life and godliness. You don't lack anything that you need to fulfill God's ultimate plan and purpose, which is to make you more and more like Jesus. So you've given everything, right? We spent weeks on that. And then it says there, well, if I've been given everything, why doesn't my life reflect that? You ever ask yourself that? Okay, so we spent weeks and weeks. We got the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We have power, love, a sound mind, all these supernatural, incredible truths, kind of like we won the spiritual lottery, right? It's all in your spiritual bank account. It's all sitting there available and ready for you to use. So why doesn't your life or my life reflect what has already been given? Why is that? And, and, and it's a really interesting question because many of us desire, right, show of hands, how many of us desire to be godly? How many of us desire to be like Jesus, right? So if we've been given everything to achieve those ends, what 
where are we at, right? And there we saw last week, for some, maybe it's just a lack of knowledge. I think for many of you, uh, it's been a joy to talk to you because you're like, I never knew. I have power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit lives in me. I have the mind of Christ. I have agape love. I can love people self-sacrificially. I have self-discipline. What? For some of you, it's just been a what? That's cool. Because most of you, many of us may have grown up in the church thinking, okay, here's all that God wants you to do. Go do it. And, and, and struggle through it in your best efforts. Make all those New Year's resolutions. Have all those good intentions. And, and you bought into this idea that Christianity is being a very good moral person in your own strength. The last few weeks, you've been like, no, time out. On the front end, God gave you everything. Use it. So it's been wonderful to see many of you wrestle and even accept. See, part of it is accepting it, receiving it. And that's been, that's been a joyful experience for many of you. Ah, oh, whoo, burden lifted. Because many of us in the church, you're still self-reliant. You're still self-reliant. It doesn't mean that you don't have to make choices and you're not responsible. Work out your salvation. We have to make choices. But here's the real choice. To appropriate what God has given you. That's the core choice that many didn't even know you had available to make. Okay? So it's not that you don't want to honor God. It's just that you're relying on the wrong resource as the primary resource, yourself. So we've learned God has given you everything, right? And we said, so it's a lack of knowledge. Turn to Colossians. So from Romans, you're going to... A couple books, several books. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Colossians 3. So for some, it's been, okay, why haven't... Why don't uh, I reflect? Well, you just didn't know. You just didn't know what was in your spiritual bank account. Colossians 3 says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Everyone say, set your minds. Set your minds. So Romans says we're, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Colossians 3.2. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple. You don't need to know the Greek. Set your minds on things above. So the question last week was, what do you set your mind on? Mostly. If you think about this past week and if you had a little mind log, what consumed most of your thinking this week? Where was your mind most focused on this week? Because Colossians 3.2 says it should be most focused on things above, not on earthly things. How many of us, if we're honest, probably focused more on earthly things than things above this week? Right? In varying degrees. In varying degrees, right? Right? Hmm. Set your minds on things above. So it's a choice. And with the choice comes the enabling. But it's a choice. When you wake up in the morning, what's your first thought? Where do you set your mind other than hit snooze? Okay, go past hit snooze. When you start really moving around this morning... What did you first set your mind on? Coffee. Okay, there's honesty. Coffee. 
Okay, there's someone that said, thank you, God, for another day is the first. What is the first thing that you choose to set your mind on as you begin each day? What is the last thing that you choose to set your mind on before you close your eyes? Right? I I shared a little um, exercise I did in years past, and Bill took it to heart and did it too. You know, we... Some of us still carry watches, but now they're becoming cool again. But these watches that you can set for an hourly chime. So we would set it, and every hour, it, when it went off, it would be a reminder to set your mind on Christ. It would be a check. Oh, where, have, where has my mind been the last hour? Okay, so it was a wonderful tool to keep your mind set on the Lord throughout the entire day. Every hour, ding. Okay, Lord, I'm just going to give you thanks. Ding. Oh, Lord, I'm just going to give you praise. Ding. Oh, Lord, I forgot about you for the last hour. Haven't even, haven't even been there, right? So we say, okay, set your mind, right? So, so we said, okay, so last week, if we're to set our minds at things above, what are some things that maybe compete for that? And if you look in your outline there, we said circumstances. Many of us set our mind mostly on our circumstances. On our circumstances. Remember the Israelites? Moses comes and Aaron says, hey, You've been here for 430 years. God appeared to us. We're leaving. Right? They're all excited. The Bible says they worship God. Woo! Yes, He has answered. He has heard our cries. Right? They, 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 they respond with joy and anticipation. The next chapter, Moses and Aaron go and talk to Pharaoh about this. Pharaoh's not too thrilled. Remember that? He takes away the straw and says, No, nope, you've got to keep making the same number of bricks, but now you've got to go find the straw. So their circumstances got worse. Circumstances got worse. So they had this wonderful promise. They worshiped God. Circumstances get worse. Exodus 6, Moses and Aaron show up again. Say, hey, we're leaving. And the Bible says they didn't even hear. They were so discouraged and so fed up with their circumstances, they didn't even hear God's promise anymore. How many of us in our life, we, we set our mind, we focus on circumstances and how bad they are and why this. And we all go through that. But if you're not careful, God's Word, God's promises, wah-wah, wah-wah, wah-wah. Charlie Brown. We get so consumed with our circumstances because that's where we set our mind that we don't even hear God's Word anymore. That's what happened to the Israelites, right? And then we saw competing idols, right? In Ezekiel 20, God says, hey, Israelites, he comes again. I searched out a land for you, flowing milk, honey. I searched it out personally. This is God talking to his people. We're going to the promised land. All you have to do is leave the idols and the gods of the Egyptians because they had got caught up in the cultural gods and idols and religions of Egypt while they were there. What did we learn in Ezekiel last week? <clears throat> now, get the picture. God says, I, God, searched out a land for you, flowing with milk and honey. Let's go. Just leave all the idols and stuff behind. Ezekiel says they rebelled. They wouldn't do it. We were challenged last week. What in your life and in my life has got us so entrenched that we can't even let go of it. We come to church 
We read God's word and he says, hey, Jesus, says, I came to give you life and life abundantly. I come to transform you. How many of you want to be transformed? Now, be careful because, yes, I'm setting you up. How many of you want to be transformed? See, no one wants to raise their hand anymore. Because he might say this, I got a plan for you. I am faithful to complete what I have begun. I've given you everything you need. Now, if you want to move from caterpillar to butterfly, which is metamorphosis, all you need to do is let go of what you're holding on to. We're just like the Israelites all over again. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He wants to bless you. He wants to transform you from the inside out. And he says, just let it go, man. Let it go. What are you holding on to? What idol, what God of American culture, of worldliness, of materialism, is you still grasping, right? Remember, when we looked at all those scriptures. Do not love the world or the things of the world, right? You can't serve God and money. What is all that saying? He's like, you got to let it go. What's, what are you holding on to so tenaciously that you look over there and you're like, I want that. Metamorphosis, abundant life transformation, walk in newness of life. I want that. But can I take this with me, Lord? It's like, what are you doing? That's my stuff. Let it, he's like, let it go. I can't take it? No. So what are you holding? What, what's your stuff? Lord, really? Right? The airlines left to me have two carry-ons. No carry-ons. Right? No carry-ons. What are you holding on? What are you trying to sneak through? You go through TSA on the way to the promised land. Boop! Ernie, what are you, what are you doing? Ernie, no contraband. Let it go, bud. What are you holding on to? What do you, you got to empty? Right? You go to TSA, you got to empty everything. Got to empty everything. What do you have to empty in your life? That God's like, come on, let's go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Just let it go. Just let it go. Trust me. <laughs> you laugh. Because <laughs> it's an issue of faith. Because many of us were raised that we're secure in our, in our stuff. We're secure in our performance. We're secure in our achievements and our accolades. We're secure in our relationships. What is it that you're holding on to as your security, as your self-worth, as your identity? That when God says, let it go, empty the pockets into the TSA bucket, you're like, oh, now I got nothing. Now I got nothing. Yeah, that's a huge step of faith. But that glorifies Him. That glorifies Him when you choose to empty your pockets. Walk through the gate. All right, let's do this. Let's do this. So that's a choice you and I have to make. You and I have to make. Because it comes through the conveyor belt. And it's sitting right there. And you're ready to reload. Right? Ready to put it all back in your pockets. God's like, no, leave it there. Leave it there. (sighs) Because some things in our life are so entrenched in our identity. So things are so entrenched in our security that when God finally gets to that level, ooh, 
See, we can come to church, it feels good. We can fellowship, we can serve, it all feels good. But when God starts asking us to empty pockets, and we're kind of now sort of floating out there in, the, in a good way, that all of the stuff of the world that we, we've been clinging to, he says, no, let it go and let it, let it be. He wants us to trust him and walk by faith, not by sight, right? It's an element of faith. So we saw that, right? Sometimes we have competing gods. And then we looked at this idea, this mindset of consumerism. And you've, you've heard me share this before. And, and I'm real careful with this because, you know, I don't, I don't want to come across harsh or, or insensitive because, you know, quite frankly, I've been here too. It's this idea that the church and ultimately God is meant to serve me. And I'm sensitive to this because if you go to bookstores, much of what you'll see is how God just wants to bless you. Now, he does. But inadvertently, what is being communicated out there in much of, much of the church is that it's, you're the end all. You're the center of the universe, and even God revolves around you, just waiting for you and what you need so that he can take care of you, right? And I shared last week how it's very challenging as a parent because as a parent, especially if you didn't have much growing up, your desire as a parent is to raise your child responsibly and in the ways of the Lord, but you want to bless your child, bless your child, bless your child. I never had this. I want my child to have that. Da, 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 da. And inadvertently, what you're, what you're doing is it's called child-centered parenting. Child-centered parenting. And inadvertently, what you're communicating to your child is that you are the center of the universe. You are the center of the universe. And suddenly, by the time they're teenager, whatever, a little older, suddenly it's all about them and what I want next and how you're ruining my life because you're not giving me what I want. And you're like, wait, wait, what happened here? Honey, what happened here? We didn't have near this stuff. We've worked hard. We've given them so much. And how did it get flipped? How did it get flipped that it's all about them and we live as parents to serve them? And the minute... We put a boundary and say no. We're the worst parents in the whole world. Anyone ever struggle with how that happened? Look what happened. Take it the right way. We're kind of like that with God. We're not careful. With the best of intentions, you went to a church that said, Hey, come to our church. We're here to meet all your needs. God's here to meet all your needs. We have a wonderful children's program. We have wonderful music. We have wonderful men's. We have wonderful women's. We're all here for you. And you come and you consume and you consume and you consume. And then when that church doesn't meet your need, oh, that is the worst church ever. All I wanted was, was, all I wanted was this song played. All I wanted was this type of donut. And they said no. When did it become about you? When did it become about us? Note to self, our gathering here, we enjoy it. I love you. You love each other. This is wonderful. Note to self, it is not about us. We are not here today, fundamentally, for us. It's just not. Now you're like, I don't really get that. My prayer is you will as we look at God's Word. 
Because this is, this is, this is, this is one of the, the, the core entrenched things that you carry and I carry that we didn't even know. Because in our culture, we are raised to be all that you can be all you can be, right? Work hard, work hard, and you can do whatever you... So in our culture, we are raised with a self-centered, me-centered, positive outlook that I can be everything I want to be. So who's it all about then? Me, I, right? That's deeply entrenched because we carry that into the church. And when you come to a church... Like I said, how many of you have ever gone church shopping, which is fine, and when you go to a church, how many of your first thoughts are this? I wonder what this church has to offer. Versus, I wonder how, what I can offer to this church. God's given me gifts and talents. I wonder what I can offer here. Radical difference, isn't it? I wonder what kind of music they have. I wonder what the pastor's... I wonder if he's a good pastor. I wonder, I wonder if the children's is good. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And we have our shopping list. Versus, how can I be a blessing here? How can I use my gifts and talents? How can I serve here? How can I give? You see? And we bring this very self-centered, me-centered, I-centered cultural thing into the church. And it causes us to get all tangled up. All tangled up. Because it's not about us. It's just not about us. And, and I share this with you because it's been challenging for me to really rewind the tape, and even in ministry, and ask yourself, okay, well, what's your motive for being a pastor? What are you about up there, big guy? Is this, is this having your own church the equivalent of a secular business? You, get, you feel good. You're going to be a lawyer. Now you're a senior pastor. Is the senior pastor just the, the, the churchy equivalent of a successful secular guy? Is that your motive? See, the heart is deceptive. We can fool ourselves. We can fool ourselves pretty good. And so this has been very challenging for me. I remember years ago, I was a young youth pastor in San Diego. And I was asked one Saturday to take a drive. For equivalent for here would be like leaving Ohio and going up to a camp on the 33 somewhere. Let's say there's a camp way up there, right? Pine, Pine Mountain. And it was a camp for juvenile offenders. And so they asked me, hey, can you come up? There's a group of about 20 teenage boys uh, at a sheriff's camp, a juvenile offender camp. Will you come up and do the morning devotional? I'm sure. I drive up, get out, and they're sitting outside. And they were at camp, and I was this morning speaker. I go there, and I do this lesson on David and Bathsheba and choices and all this stuff. And when we're done, I find out that the very next thing they're going to do without a break is, is a ropes course. You know what high, high ropes course have been to Hume Lake? And the very first thing, on the, the very first element is this 30-foot telephone pole that you have to climb and then figure out how to get on the very top of it and stand on it and then jump out to a trapeze. That's out there like six feet away. Jump out and try to catch the trapeze. So I finish speaking. They say, okay, we're all going over there. And one of the sheriffs says, and you're coming too. And then he says this, and you're going to be first. I'm like, are you kidding me? I have never done this. 
I wouldn't choose to do it. That's like jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. Why am I going to climb a 30-foot telephone pole and jump out to a trapeze? So, you know, he said, and you're going to be first because you're going to show all these juvenile offenders what's what, Pat, you know, preacher. I wish. I wish that my motive at that moment would have been, oh, this is an incredible opportunity to glorify God. Lord, I want you to be glorified. Lord, I'm doing this as unto you. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. You know, all these wonderful scriptural truths. If I'm really honest with you, here was my supreme motive. Don't look like a punk. My only motive and what got me up and to jump and scream like a little girl as I tried to hit this was that I would not look like a punk in front of these guys. It was all about me. My supreme motive was pride. I, I, I was not going to lose face by not doing it. That would have been horrible. I mean, how do you back out? And, you know, you just preached about David and Bathsheba and God. And how are you going to back out, right? But I'll be honest with you. I was not motivated to glorify God. I was motivated just not to lose face in front of these teenage offenders. Even in the context of doing ministry, it was about me saving face. And that's why I've been so challenged with this. You know, what is, what is, what is the purpose? How much of it is really about me? And how much of it is really about glorifying God? And oftentimes it's when you're caught off guard. It's when you're caught off guard that you get busted and exposed. Amen? How many of you ever um, been caught off guard driving by someone who doesn't drive as well as you? And you let something slip because you were caught off guard. Right? It's when we see the stuff coming. Bless that crazy driver, Lord. Right, Ernie? That's what you do. You bless the crazy drivers as they go by you, right? No, it's when we're caught off guard. <laughs> well, you call them, <laughs> you call them this, face, Right? But it's when we're caught off guard that we get thrown and we don't have time to put on the clean, clean it all up, and we get busted. We get exposed. And so oftentimes in your walk, in my walk, what is God exposing? What's the motive? Who's it about? Who's it about? In my prayer for us this morning, scripturally, we'll understand who it's supposed to be about. Because if you get this and you settle this and you set your mind on who it's supposed to be about, everything in your life becomes clearer. Becomes clearer. So let's look at some verses, right? Let's look at... Let's look at Psalm 119. We're just going to do, we're going to be looking at kind of a, what I call a, a, a biblical survey. Not a whole lot of time on each verse, but I think the value in this is the quantity of verses that we're going to hear and the repetitive theme. So Psalm 119. There's other verses we may not get to today. I encourage you to look them up in your notes. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 36 and 37. Psalm 119, verse 36 and 37. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. 
preserve my life according to your word. Wow, there's a morning prayer. Right? There's a morning prayer. Let's go back to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. We're going all the way back there. 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians five fourteen. For we are um, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and He died for all that those who live should no longer live for who, for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Right. Let's go to. Keep going back to the left, Romans. Let's go to Romans 15. He's speaking to the church as a whole in Rome. Look at what he says to a whole church in Rome. Romans 15, verse 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth you may what? Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? His prayer for the church at Rome is that they would be united and their ultimate purpose is to do what? Glorify God. And I shared with you last week, that is the heart, that is the heartbeat of us. That is the heartbeat of us. Now, take this the right way. I have nothing against bumper stickers and all that, and I understand people get connected to churches, and, and there's a lot of wonderful ministry. I told Tyler and Bill, I don't think we're ever going to have a bumper sticker that says OBCF. No, nothing against others who choose to do that. Please understand me. Because I don't want people pointing at us. I want people, this, this is a great verse for us. This is a heartbeat verse that we would be united and in that unity glorify God. Amen? That's what we want as a body when we come. Okay, let me, let me explain something. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.9 and then I'm going to talk a little bit more. 1 Peter 2.9. Hebrews, James, it's way to the right. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Okay, kind of towards the back of the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.9. what this says you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to god how many of you like that that's you how many of you have heard that before and like that Woo! i celebrate that's who we are everyone say that's who we are now many of us want to end there let's celebrate that and make a bumper sticker and t-shirts we don't read to the end look at look keep reading that, everyone say that, okay, very important, there was a comma, right, and we, we, we got to finish, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What is the purpose of us being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God? What is the ultimate purpose? To declare his praises. You see the difference? You see the difference? 
Many of us get that and we're like, yes, that's me, that's me, that's us, that's us. Woohoo! Let's celebrate that. No, that's not the end all. The end all is we're all of that to declare his praises. Let me explain something to you. You all, and I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but let me change your view of going to church. Because oftentimes people, even professing Christians, struggle in, do I want to go to church? Okay? So, this verse says you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You're like, well, how does that apply to going to church? Let me explain something to you. How many of you parked across the street? Okay. Wherever you park, right? You had to park and you had to walk from your car into that door or this door, right? Do you know what you were doing when you were walking? Hint, it's in that verse. What were you doing as you were walking from your car to this building? You were declaring his praises. You're like, what do you mean? I was just walking. You were declaring his praises. You know why? Because there's a whole lot of people who saw you walking to a church because you believe that the God that you're about to worship is worthy to get up and get to church for. Amen? Do you understand that? Your, your mere physical presence walking from there to here is declaring his praise. God, you are worth me getting up on Sunday. You are worth me getting in my car. You are worth me getting dressed because you are worthy to be praised. So when you show up, don't take for granted that people over there are like, people still go to church? All those, all those, what are all those cars for? You people walking by this neighborhood, what are all these cars here? Oh, these, are, these people go to church. But why do they go to church? Why do you go to church? To declare His praise? When you leave here, and you go back to your car, you are declaring His praise by the very fact that you showed up. And it was important and a priority. See, when you get up at 0900, or whenever you got up this morning, to get here, you are declaring to the rest of the community, God's worth it. God's worth it. God's a priority. He's worth it. Because there's a whole lot of things in our life that we get up early for. Uh, I used to get up real early when I had a deep sea fishing. I had to get down to the, I had to get down to Port Wainimi because that boat was going to leave without me. I got up uh, several times in my life for tea times. Dale. All right, two thumbs up for the tea times. What's been worth it to you in your life that gets you up and moving? We got to go. Come on, we got to go. We got to go. Because it's worth it. Because it's a priority. When you come here on Sunday mornings, you are declaring his praise that he was worth it. Amen? He was worth it. Conversely, Ooh, now we're getting a little bit more personal. Turn to Romans 2. There's a, the, there's a challenge here. Romans 2. Romans 2. The Apostle Paul is going to speak directly to his Jewish audience. Romans 2.17 says this. Now you, 
If you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Woo! That's heavy! He's like, hey, you Jewish audience, you brag about being God's chosen. You're bragging about knowing the law. You're bragging that you and God are tight. But here's the deal. Your life is causing people to blaspheme that God that you won't even say his name. Your life, your hypocritical life is causing the Gentiles to blaspheme God's name by how you live. He's saying this to the Jews. Woo, 2016, Christians. Christians. Christ, I-A-N. Belonging to Christ. Follower of Christ. Your life is either enhancing His reputation or tarnishing it. So we go back to church attendance. When you get up, And you get out of that car and you walk here. What are you doing? Declaring his praise. Right? He's worthy. He was worth it to get here. I remember, and and I love Veronica's grandma. You remember Veronica's grandma? She used to be here before she went to be with the Lord. She used to walk from Betty. Betty, what's the name of your place again? What's the name? Whispering Whispering Oaks, right? Hakani? You know where that restaurant is? Veronica's grandma used to walk here every Sunday morning. That's how worth God was to her. What a testimony. I was blown away. She walks here? And she beats most everyone? Because <laughs> it was worth it. Flip side, Romans two seventeen through 24 If you as a Christian don't go to church because you don't want to, What are you communicating then? Think about it. God's not worth it. God's not worth it. He's not worthy. Yeah, that was an oucher for me too. On one hand, we celebrate when we want to declare His praise, but we've got to be honest, guys. When When we make choices, we have to own that there's an impact that way too. And so when Christians choose not to go to, to church, inadvertently you're communicating, no, God's not a priority. He's not worth it. I know things come up. I understand the context of it. Things come up. But I'm talking if your heart and your mind becomes, God, Sunday, I don't, I don't need church. What are you saying? It's not a priority. It's just not a priority. So we have to ask ourselves, as a Christian... Are we declaring His praise? And that goes all the way back to who you're living for. Who you're living for. And if you want an example, let's look at Jesus. Right? Look at John 17. 
You want an example? Because many times we forget that Jesus was human, fully human, fully God. Ty, can we turn the AC on? John 17, 4. John 17, 4. Look what Jesus says. This is towards the end of his ministry. He's praying. He's talking to his father. John 17, 4. Jesus says this. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. In John 8, Jesus says, I don't seek my own glory. See, here's the thing. Jesus on this planet was not about lifting himself up. He was about glorifying his father. If you say you're a follower of Christ, you've got to follow Jesus. Let this mind be in you, right? What does Philippians say? Let nothing be done from selfish ambition. Even in the church, how many of us kind of do things, even churchy things, maybe for selfish ambition? Right? That's one of the checks. Every, here, every Thursday we meet as a worship team and we spend a good length of time in devotion. Because as a, as, as a pastor, one of the things that I know about people on this side of the microphone, it can become really quickly about you and how good we sound and how cool we are. And let's make this song really cool sounding. And, you know, let's be really cool. And then they want to come to the OVCF because it's cool worship and it's really cool. Right. And so we're not even about declaring his praises. We just want to be cool. And we spent hours over the last six years together trying to make sure we never we never elevate coolness but that happens in the church how many of you came here today because you want to be cool right because it's about you what you were going to get how many of you came here say lord i'm going to church because i'm going to declare your praise i'm going to church because when i get out of my car and i walk across the street i want people to know that he's worthy and when I leave here, after having coffee and donuts and fellowship, I'm going to walk to my car and people can go, where were you? I was at church. Why? Because he's worthy. If we can understand that that was Jesus' mindset. I finished the, Father, I finished the work you gave me. I glorified you by finishing the work. He was about glorifying his Father. In John 14, let's look at John 14. I love this. Look at John 14. Right? Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you, would, you do know him and have seen him. I love what Philip says. Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough. Jesus, come on, just show us. Just show us what he's like. Show us what it's like. Come on, Jesus. And he's like what he, Jesus says. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Woo! Philip, great question. Here's your answer. Look at my life. See, John 1 says Jesus came full of grace and truth. He's the Word in one sense because He expresses God. What do words do? They express things. So Jesus is the Word because He came down to express God, to manifest God. And He says, hey, Philip, great question. You want to know what God, God is like? Look at my life. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. What do people see when they see you? Oh, you. Oh, you. 
and you say the same. Diana, you're a Christian, right? Right? You're a Jesus lover, right? Show me Jesus. No, you don't want to say you don't want to say I feel misery. What would you what should we be able to say? Look at my life. Just look at my life. I live my life so that you see what Jesus is like. I just live my life. If you've seen me, I'm doing my best to show you Jesus. Not perfectly, but I'm just doing my best to show you Jesus. To glorify is to manifest his qualities. Oftentimes at the end of sporting events, usually the winner says, all glory to God. Right? Not what we're talking about. Because in that context, you know, oh yeah. And, and, and no slam, because I know a lot of them love the Lord. But when people say glory to God, it's sometimes just a, a, a toss to God. Hey, thanks God. Give, I give God praise. Like, you know, I give him the credit. It's kind of like that little flippant thing, little cliche. Much different to say, I want to glorify God. Because I've seen guys on TV that I know live very hedonistic, secular lives, give glory to God. You know, like, really, dude? Why don't you glorify God? And then when you say give glory to God, there's a consistency. You know what I'm saying? I have no problem people giving thanks to God, but when you know they're living completely secular, materialistic, fleshly lives, I'm like, really? How about glorifying God? Manifest His qualities. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Wow. Does that give you purpose? Does that give you a bigger vision than just being all you can be? It gives me a bigger version for this church. Because at this church, we just want to declare His praise. Is your life, I just want to declare His praise in, in every area of my life. I want to declare His praise. Now, it's not going to be perfect. We've got things to do for the rest of our life. But the heart, we're talking about the heart and the mind. If your mind, I just want to declare his praise. Then so many verses make sense. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. How many have ever heard that? Whether you eat or drink, do all. Ah, what? Hmm? What? You mean say grace? No, we don't mean say grace. What he's saying is whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Like in every area of your life, even the mundane, routine things, you can do it with the heart and the mind to declare his praise. I talked to a guy today, and we're working, uh, this week I talked to him. And I've been working through this with him. And he told me this week, you know what? I decided I'm taking out my trash cans to the glory of God. I'm like, that is awesome. He takes out his trash cans to the glory of God. Meaning his heart and mind are different. And I've been working with him in his home to cast a vision for his house and how he maintains it to the glory of God. That it honors and declares his praise. And we've had some honest discussions because, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm really good at the old stuff shuffle. How many of you have stuff in your house you've moved like 20 times? Anyone? We had a real honest discussion. He's like, you too? I'm like, yeah. And there's a conviction. It's like, Lord, I don't know if this is glorifying to you. Like buying a tool shed for stuff. Right? But what happens? When it's about me, I, here's the thing. When it's about me and I'm the standard, it comes down to me. And what I'm comfortable with. And what fits my schedule. And what fits 
my level of, right? And so I'll move stuff because my wife says we have guests coming. Okay. How many of you have a closet in your house? You hope they don't open that closet because it'll all come tumbling out. Right? Because we get comfortable and we start to just maneuver and it's like, no, time out. Lord, 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 Lord. Help me to glorify you in my house. Not about me. Not about what we can maneuver around. You know, it's crazy. Me and my boy, we like to work out in our garage. When we can make the room. But if it's up to me, I'll live with it. Anyone? I just live with it. Because I'm the standard. When you want to declare his praise, oh yeah, it gets real uncomfortable real quick. Because Lord, yeah, I confess, there's areas that, that just aren't glorifying to you that I've just let slide because I, I can live with it. As Christians, we're not just supposed to live with it. The higher purpose is to declare his praise. Amen? To declare his praise. And I put in your notes some specific areas that you can do that it's on the back side. Abraham, when he exercised faith, it says he gave glory to God. It glorified God when you trust him. When you trust him, walking by faith glorifies him. Second Corinthians, your obedience. When you obey God, you know what? You declare his praise. Powerful verse. We don't have time to look at all of them. Sanctification. We're going to camp here. Let's look at Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16, look at this. One of my key verses. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And do what? Praise who? Your Father in heaven. You see, God wants you to be salt and light. He wants you to be transformed. But not so people pat you on the back and say, Woo, good job. It's designed to give your father praise. They want, he says, you know what? Grow and to be like Jesus. So when people look at you, they're like, wow. And you say, yeah, I know God. It's just about God. Only God could have done this. You see the bigger vision? You see the bigger vision? What we're trying to do scripturally is, is enlarge your vision beyond what you can live with. Beyond what you can live with. Because it's not about you. It's about him getting the praise and the glory, right? Turn to John 15, 8. Look at this. I love this verse. This is Jesus talking. John 15, 8. John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. Woo! Bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Honestly, when I first was a believer and I learned love, joy, I want to have love, joy, peace, patience, all the fruit, it was just about me. I want to be more loving. I want to be more good. I want to be more gentle. I want to be more kind. It was all about me. I didn't read the first part of the verse. Look at the first part of John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory. 
so much of my own Christianity has been about me. I want to be, I want to be like Jesus. I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because I want to. Because it's good for me. Jesus, this is to my Father's glory. See, when you bear the fruit of the Spirit, when, you, when you're transformed, everyone should be giving the glory to God. Everyone should be going, Wow! I knew you before, Scott. What got into you? And you say, oh, dude, you give glory to God. You, you praise God. Hey, man, it wasn't me. It's God. You see? That's the testimony. That's the testimony. In your service, turn to 1 Peter 4.11. This one will help some of you who are struggling with serving in the church, using your gifts. Look at 1 Peter 4.11. Change my view of serving in the church. First Peter four eleven. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with all the strength, with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Do you realize when you serve, it's not about you serving. You serve that God would be praised. Radical difference, isn't it? You serve, you use your gifts, according to 1 Peter 4.11, right there. He should do with, all, with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Wow. So you see, when you do the coffee, and we're so thankful, when you bring the donuts, and we're so thankful, when you do anything in the body of Christ, and you're doing it to bring Him praise, that's a glorious thing. We're just to be used in His kingdom for His kingdom. To bring him praise. To bring him praise. You've got to ask yourself. It's very challenging. I saw an article. They did this survey. 25% of the people they surveyed, and they extrapolated out to the American population, 25% of the American population didn't know which one rotated around the other, the earth or the sun. They did a survey. Does the earth rotate around the sun or does the sun rotate around the earth? 25% of the people got it wrong. Some of you right now are very nervous that I'm going to call on you to answer that. Which one is it? See, there's a probably a good percentage of us who aren't sure who's the center. God, are you orbiting around me? Or am I orbiting around God? The answer to that plays out to every area of your life. Every area of your life. Now when Jesus says, he who loses my life, you, you lose your life, you'll find it. Take your cross daily and follow me. You know what that all means? It means we're orbiting. It's not about you. This is one of those gut levels like, oh, really? Ah. Even in suffering, we can give praise to God because the world is watching. Even in death. In death. Look at Philippians. Go to Philippians. Actually, let's go to John. John 21. The very end, Jesus is talking with Peter. Right? 
John 21. This is that conversation Jesus has with Peter. Start in verse... uh, Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Right? Even in Philippians, we won't turn there, the Apostle Paul says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, many of us have this fear of death. You might be scared of dying. The glorious news is dying comes under the declaring His praise, glorifying vision. Even how you die can glorify God. And we were thinking, Brother Don. Brother Don Moore, a hospital over there, working through what he worked through. That man glorified God and he had tunnel vision even in that hospital room that he was going to glorify God to the end. You can declare his praises by your faith, by your obedience, by your just life, your sanctification process, by your suffering, even by your death. You can bring glory to God. Because we're not the center. We revolve around him. We just revolve around him. Right? And we're going to take communion... And I was thinking, man, that, that look at look at John twelve. We're already in John. Go back a few chapters. Look at John twelve. Jesus even dealt with this. John twelve twenty three. Look what Jesus says. Jesus replied, "The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth: unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds." The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servants also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus is talking about, hey guys, I'm about to go be crucified tortured, murdered, buried and raised from the dead. He's struggling with it. And in the end, he says, you know what? I'm not going to ask to be saved from it. I want Father to be glorified in it. Wow! Jesus is going to the cross and his prayer is that his Father would be glorified. You see, I love that because it prepares us for communion and it helps to understand in our life a lot of times, I don't know about you, but me, I spend a whole lot of time and energy trying to avoid things. Avoid pain, avoid hurt, avoid suffering, avoid this, avoid that. And this message says, you know what? 
I can embrace it and I can move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit with the prayer that God would be glorified in it. See the difference? Because as you enter into the trials and the things of your life that seem way beyond you and you move forward supernaturally and you say, Father, be glorified, you know what happens? People are watching you. The world is watching you. And God is glorified as people are like, man, that's what a Christian, that's how a Christian handles that. That what is that? That's, oh, I get it now. I get it by your life. You're preaching and you're teaching the gospel. Jesus says, hey, guys, it's time. I know, me too. I'm like, eh, eh. But Father, glorify your name. That's our heart cry for the church and his followers of Christ. Father, glorify your name. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. And as we prepare for communion now, that's our desire, Jesus. That we would glorify the Father's name in all things. Declare His praise. I thank You for this gathering. Even now, everyone in this room is declaring praise by being in this room. It's a choice they made. And it's declaring Your praise because You are worthy. And as we now have an opportunity for communion. And for communion this morning, we're going to give you the opportunity if you would like to come forward and get two cups and then uh, go back to your seats and you can take communion on your own. But this time of communion, come forward and say, Lord, Jesus, I want to follow you. Your desire was to glorify your Father. You say if we bear much fruit, it's to His glory. That's our desire, to glorify the Father in our lives. It's not about us. We're not the center. You are God. So we take this communion now in remembrance of you, Jesus, but even the application, Father, if we have been, if we quite frankly have been the center, if we've been focused on self, forgive us. We confess it. We ask your forgiveness and we use this time of communion to make this right at the heart level that we would live to glorify you, whether we eat or drink.